Thanks for listening to the Rock Hill Podcast. At Rock Hill, we're all about reaching people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. Listen in as Pastor Matt Chappell teaches how God's Word applies to our everyday lives. Psalm chapter 55. Last week we started a brand new series of messages that we are calling Brave the Storm. And we're talking about how to get through what we're going through. And when we are encountering the difficult seasons of affliction in our lives. And today I'm going to preach a message that I'm simply calling, What Are You Looking At? What are you looking at? Everybody look to your neighbor and say, what are you looking at? All right. Now that we've got some offended people in the room, we're ready to get into God's Word. Psalm chapter 55. We'll start reading in verse number 1 today. The Bible says this, Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not thyself from my supplication. Attend unto me and hear me. I mourn in my complaint and I make a noise because of the voice of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they cast iniquity upon me and in wrath they hate me. My heart is sore pained within me and the terrors of death are fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling are come upon me and horror hath overwhelmed me. And I said, oh, that I had wings like a dove, for then I would fly away and be at rest. Everybody say rest. Lo, then I would wander far off and remain in the wilderness, Selah. I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and tempest. We'll cover more verses this morning, but we'll pause right there for sake of time. Let's have a word of prayer together. Father, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. And God, thank you for this opportunity to worship you this morning. And uh, Lord, I pray that for the next few minutes, we will be able to look to your word today and uh, we will be able to be challenged and edified together. God, we're so thankful that your word is active. It's alive. And uh, God, I pray that we can understand today that we're not reading just some ancient literature, but God, we are reading uh, the very Uh, words of God, that we are reading uh, God-breathed, inspired words. And God, I pray that we can uh, have a heart of understanding. I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in our midst. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would give me the words to say. And uh, God, that we can be uh, embedded because of our time together to leave this place to give you glory. And we love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, how many of you get car sick? Can I see your hands? You get car sick? I, I get car sick. And uh, uh, typically when I'm in the passenger seat or when I'm in the back seat of the car, I, I will get car, uh, car sick so quickly. And I remember the other day uh, I had some work that I needed to, uh, I needed to get done and uh, we needed to go somewhere. And so I told uh, Katie, how about you drive? And I'll just kind of sit in the passenger seat and uh, I'll get some work done. I brought my laptop. And so uh, we left the house. We got in the car. And true story, before we even left the neighborhood, I was like, pull over. I just can't do it. I, I need to drive. And I get car sick. Uh, sometimes, and I think I've passed that down to my daughter, Liv. She gets car sick often. It seems like whenever we're in the car uh, longer than 10 minutes or so, she's uh, getting car sick. And somehow it's always my fault as the driver because, of course, it's the way that I'm driving that somehow uh, makes her car sick. But she's always getting sick, and we'll tell her to do all these different remedies, right? We'll roll the window down or we'll, we'll give her some water. But primarily, the main thing that we tell her is probably what you would tell someone in the same situation make sure that you are looking straight out ahead, right? Uh, make sure that you are looking out uh, the windshield 
windshield. Don't, don't look to the left outside this way. Don't look to the right. Don't look down. Don't even close your eyes. That will only make matters worse. Make sure that you are looking straight ahead. And I thought about that, and I thought the truth is so often we struggle to navigate the storms of life because we have failed to fix our eyes in the right direction. So often when storms come and when afflictions come into our lives, we are busy looking at all the wrong places and we're looking at our bank account and we're looking at social media and we're looking at our relationships and we're looking in all different directions, but we haven't paused and fixed our eyes on Jesus. And I believe it's so imperative that we learn to fix our eyes on Jesus because the object of your attention will determine the outcome of your affliction. In other words, the direction that you look will determine the destiny that you live. It's about the direction that you are looking. And I wonder this morning, what is the direction that we are looking? Because so often we are uh, having our eyes gravitate to uh, the wrong uh, places. And Jesus talked a lot about spiritual vision and the places that we should look. And the Bible says this in, in Matthew uh, chapter 6, verse number 22. Jesus says, the light of the body is the eye. Everybody say the eye. And so Jesus was saying, uh, your eye, your, your, your vision will provide light for your body, will provide light and direction for your life. If therefore thine eye be single, everybody say single, single, thy whole body shall be full of light. And so what is Jesus saying? He's saying if your spiritual vision, if your eye be single, if you have a singular focus, if you have a singular vision, if you are looking in the same direction and you are looking in the direction that I have for you without being distracted by the world, then there will be illumination. You will have light. You will not be walking in darkness, but there will be light. And so Jesus was teaching the importance of having an undistracted and, and uh, un, uh, undistracted vision for your life. And so Jesus was uh, passionate about this. Proverbs chapter 4, verse number 25 says, let your eyes look straight ahead. Everybody say straight ahead. And so I wonder this morning, the question that we must answer is who or what could then be clouding our vision? Who or what in our lives could be clouding our vision? I wrote down a few things, a few things that uh, could potentially be clouding our vision by way of introduction today. The first thing I wrote down was unconfessed sin. So often because there's something that's unconfessed, we haven't made it right. It's kind of distorting our perspective, and we don't have clarity in the midst of the storm because there's some sort of sin that we have not yet made right uh, before the Lord, and so unconfessed sin. Another one is unmet expectation. Uh, we feel like we should be farther along in life, or we feel like, man, uh, this isn't how my life is supposed to be going, and the season that I'm in is not the season that I thought that I would be in at this point. And so there's unmet expectation that clouds our vision. The third thing I wrote down is unexplained tragedy. Sometimes there's an unexplained tragedy in our lives that, that we don't have an answer for, and it's confusing, and it's hard, and it's difficult, and so it kind of clouds our perspective. And the fourth thing that I wrote down is an unfair situation. When something happens in your life, and you've done all the right things, and you've done what you're supposed to do, uh, but it still hasn't turned out the way that you thought, and so there's an unfair situation, and it's clouding our vision. And I thought about those things, and I thought, if there's anyone in Scripture that knows all about those four things that I just mentioned, it is King David in the Old Testament. Because King David went through so much in his life, and he knew all about clouded vision. And we come to Psalm chapter number 55, and this is a psalm that King David wrote. It's called the Song of Lament. Everybody say lament. And so this is a psalm of lament, which is a popular theme in Scripture, uh, specifically in the book of Psalms, where, uh, where someone would express great mourning or tragedy or grief or sorrow. This would be a psalm of, of lament. And the, these are psalms and these are sections of scripture that are typically uh, poems or hymns, and they are expressing great human struggle. And uh, Martin Luther, he, he said this about songs. 
uh, Psalms of Lament, he said, What is the greatest thing in the Psalter but this earnest speaking amid the storm winds of every kind? Now, he's referencing these Psalms of Lament like we're studying this morning in Psalm chapter 55. He says, where do you find deeper, more sorrowful, more pitiful words of sadness than in the Psalms of Lamentation? He's saying, man, uh, these are so, so relatable, these Psalms, and, and, and there's deep hurting in these. There again, you look into the hearts of the saints as into death, yes, as into hell itself. When they speak of fear and hope, they use such words that no painter could so depict for uh, your fear or hope, and no Cicero or other orator has so portrayed them. And that they speak these words to God and with God, this, I repeat, is the best thing of all. This gives us the words double earnestness and life. And so what was Martin Luther saying? He was saying, man, these psalms of lament, they're so real. They're so raw. And these people are, are mourning and they're struggling so much. And they're actually saying these things to God. And what he's saying is, man, these are so relatable. And so if you're going through a storm or going through a struggle, just know that these psalms of lament uh, are expressing those same feelings that we often feel. What's interesting about a psalm of lament is they typically start with suffering, but they end with glory. And it's interesting because uh, it usually starts with a negative complaint, these psalms of lament, and uh, there's something negative going on, someone's complaining, but at the end, there is a, a positive, faith-filled note. And I love that the psalms of lament, they take us on this journey from grief to glory. I love that they take us on this journey from pain to praise because that's exactly what I believe that a relationship with Jesus Christ can do for your life. He can take your pain and transform it into praise. He can take your storm and transform it into strength. He can take your grief and transform it for his glory. Anybody thankful today that he can work all things together for good to them that love him and are called according to his perfect uh, purpose. And so we see we see that these psalms of lament, we find great hope and encouragement in them. And we see that they take us on this journey from grief to glory. And we're going to see that in the life of, of David this morning. And as David is writing these words in this chapter, we see that David is looking in all different directions. We see that he is, he, he's looking uh, in all of these different directions, but he's going to teach us how we can fix our eyes on God, how we can fix our eyes straight ahead, and how we can navigate these storms that so often enter into our lives. I love what the Bible says in Psalm 34, verse number 17, the righteous cry, and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. He keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. I love that because the storm has the potential to bruise you, but the storm will never break you because the Lord will not suffer the righteous to be moved. And so we find great encouragement uh, in this passage today. And so what I'd like to do if you're taking notes is I'd like to look at four different directions that we can look when we find ourselves in the midst of the storm. Really four options, four directions that we can look. If you're ready, would you say amen? amen. Direction number one, you can look within at how you feel. You can look within at how you feel. A couple of months ago, I was kind of passing by, and I saw a few minutes of the Emoji movie. And I haven't seen the whole thing, but how many of you have seen the Emoji movie? Anybody? And uh, there's a character in the Emoji movie named Mel Meh. And I think we have a picture of Mel this morning. And Mel Meh is just kind of 
meh, you know, like everything in life, he just doesn't really get excited, doesn't have a whole lot of emotion, he's just kind of like straightforward and, and uh, uh, doesn't get super passionate about anything, everything's just kind of meh and, and nothing really exciting happening in his life. Well, I want you to understand that when we come to Psalm chapter 55, David is the complete opposite of mel, meh because David is completely full of emotion and uh, David had all of these feelings and all of these emotions that he was navigating and all of these uh, feelings that were infiltrating his heart and I want you to see see uh, what some of these emotions are. And we'll see the first one in verse number one. He felt alone. Notice verse number one in our text today. He says, give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not thyself from my supplication. Attend unto me and hear me. I mourn in my complaint and I make a noise. David said, God, will you please answer me? God, I feel alone. I feel as though you are not there. And this is very common in a psalm of lament where the writer will feel as though God has abandoned them. And David here, he feels all alone. He feels completely abandoned. And he says, God, where are you? I'm struggling. I'm hurting. I'm, I'm going through this incredible storm. And I just feel like you are distant. I feel like you're not there. I feel all alone. And David had this very real emotion. He says, I mourn in my complaint and I make a noise. See, sometimes we go through such a hard tragedy or such a difficult storm or such a difficult season that we don't even know the words to say. We can't even conjure up the right words to say. And so we just, we, we, we scream or we groan in frustration. We just make a noise. We're not even sure what to say in that moment. But I have good news because the Bible says in Romans that likewise the Spirit also helpeth us in our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And so even if we don't even know what to say, and even if we're at a loss for words and we're hurting and we're broken, just know that the Holy Spirit is near and he knows exactly what you need and he knows exactly how to provide for you and comfort you in that situation. And so David, he has these very real feelings and he's looking within and he feels, first of all, alone. But I want you to see a second feeling. He feels also attacked. Notice verse number three. He says, because of the voice of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they cast iniquity upon me, and in wrath they hate me. Now, just a moment, we'll unpack David's context and his situation a little bit more. But David was uh, experiencing a great attack from the enemy, and he's saying, man, uh, they are casting iniquity upon me. That means they are falsely accusing me. They're saying things about me that aren't even true, and I already feel alone. And now I'm hearing these reports that they're lying about me, and they're spreading rumors about me, and they're saying that I'm involved with things that I'm not involved with. And so now he feels not only alone, but now he feels attacked. But then he goes on. Not only does he feel alone and attacked, he also feels ashamed. Notice verse number four. He says, my heart is sore pained within me and the terrors of death are falling upon me. He says, even worse than the physical pain that I'm going through is this internal pain. My heart is sore pained within me and now he feels ashamed. Well, what would David feel ashamed about? Well, David had some uh, past struggles and some past issues that constantly haunted him. His sin with Bathsheba committing adultery, his sin by murdering Uriah. He had these things that constantly were on his heart and on his mind and he was feeling uh, so guilty and so ashamed about his past. And so here's David. He feels so alone. He feels attacked. And now he feels ashamed. But then it goes on even further. And now he feels afraid. Notice verse number five. Fearness, fearfulness, and trembling are come upon me, and horror hath overwhelmed me. And so we see all of these very real emotions and feelings that David is encountering. He feels all alone, afraid, attacked ashamed. And maybe today you find yourself resonating with some of the feelings that David is expressing. 
Maybe today that's where you are. You feel alone. You feel ashamed. You feel afraid. You feel attacked. But I'm here to encourage somebody today that our feelings don't tell the whole story. And feelings often lie to us. That's why the prophet Jeremiah said the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? And so often we are looking within at our feelings and we're focusing so much on our feelings rather than living by faith. And that is why Christianity has never been about our feelings. And it's always been about faith. It's always been about trusting in Jesus. Because when we start trusting in Jesus and we start walking by faith, when we feel all alone, we know that Jesus is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. When we feel attacked, we know that Jesus is our shield and our strength. Hey, when we feel ashamed, we know that Jesus is our covering and he is our righteousness. And when we feel all alone and we feel afraid, we know that Jesus is our strong tower and the righteous run to it and are safe. And I just want to tell you today that whatever you are feeling, the word of God has comfort. The word of God has answers and Jesus is always always there. So often we are distracted by what we feel and we are focused so much on our feelings, but faith is a focus, not a feeling. And so this morning, I want to encourage you to guard your heart, to protect your heart. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 4, keep thine heart, guard your heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. If you can learn to govern your spirit and govern your emotions and understand and recognize, hey, my feelings don't tell the whole story, and I might feel alone, and I might feel attacked, and I might feel ashamed, and I might feel all of these different things, but hey, the word of God is true, and that's what I'm going to fix my eyes on. I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus and his word, and that's it. So here's David. He's in the storm, and first he looks within at his feelings and his emotions. But there's a second direction that we can look when we're in the midst of the storm. The second direction that we can look is beyond for a way out. You can look within at how you feel, but number two, you can look beyond for a way out. Notice verse number six. It says this, and I said, oh, that I had wings like a dove, for then I would fly away and be at rest. Lo, then I would wander far off and remain in the wilderness. You know, by the way, you, you know your storm is bad when you're like, I just wish I could go to the wilderness. <laughs> and remain in the wilderness. I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and the tempest. He says, the storm that I'm going through, I just wish I could get away. It reminded me a little bit about uh, back in the late 1990s, Southwest Airlines came out with the whole campaign of want to get away, right? And uh, they recently came out with some of these new uh, commercials. How many of you know what I'm talking about? These want to get away commercials. All right, for those of you that don't know, you're in luck because I brought a commercial with me this morning. And so let's watch this for a second. General, there's been a breach. We need your password so we can lock down the system. My password? Yes, sir, we need your password. The password that I use? Yes, sir, your password. There's been another breach. Sir. Right, okay, I, H, A, T-E-M-Y-J-O-B-1. <clears throat> I hate my job, one. Want to get away? Now you can with Southwest fares as low as $59 one way. Yes to low fares with nothing to hide. That's transparency. And that's exactly where we find David in Psalm 55. I think he was looking for a Southwest Airlines ticket. He was like, I'm just ready to get away. He said, man, I just wish I had wings like a dove, for then I would fly away. And he was looking beyond for a way out. And so often when we find ourselves in a difficulty, in an affliction or a storm, uh, we're, we're constantly looking for a way that we can figure things out. We can get out. And, and rather than confronting uh, the solution in a biblical matter, and rather than focusing on God's word, we're just trying to find a way out. And so often when we're in a storm, we ask the question, how can I get out of this? When we should be asking, what can I get out of this? There's, there's an example of this 
in the prophet Jeremiah, he, uh, at one point in his life, he was ready to kind of get away. He was just kind of wanting to get away from it all. He wanted, he was looking beyond for a way out in the middle of a storm. And this is what it says in, in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse number 2. Oh, that I had in the wilderness a lodging place of wayfaring men, that I might leave my people and go from them, for they be all adulterers in assembly of treacherous men. And here's Jeremiah the prophet. He's like, man, I just wish I could get away from all of my problems. I just wish I had a little nice cabin in the woods. I could get away from people. I could kind of just start a nice little fire and put my phone away and read a good book and kind of just relax for a little bit, not answer any emails. How many of you are like, I'm with Jeremiah? That sounds pretty good right now. But it's interesting because even though that's what Jeremiah wanted, he knew that's not what he needed. Because later on in Jeremiah's life, he actually did have an opportunity to get away. Later on in his life, he could have gone to his little nice cabin in the woods that he was envisioning. He could have just gotten away from it all. But in Jeremiah chapter 40, verse number 6, Jeremiah stayed put. Even when he had the opportunity to leave like a good shepherd, he stayed with his people. And it says this in Jeremiah chapter 10, verse number 19, Jeremiah says this. Woe is me for my hurt, my wound is grievous, but I said this uh, truly is a grief and I must bear it. Jeremiah said, man, this hurts and I wish I could just get away and I wish I could just flee all of my problems and go on a vacation and just forget about it all, but I understand that I have to stay put and I have to stay faithful to the calling that God has for me and I know that it's not easy, but I'm going to do what God wants me to do. I'm going to stay put. I know it's not comfortable, and I know I just wish I could get away from all of my problems. I wish I could just escape from it all, but I'm going to be faithful, and I'm going to stay planted in what God has called me to do. The Bible tells us this in Psalm 1, verse number 3, and he shall be like a tree planted. Everybody say planted. planted. So often we're looking for a way out, and God wants us to get planted. He wants us to get rooted. Like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. See, the thing about being planted is you have to wait for the fruit to be brought in your season. It doesn't happen right away. And so the rivers of water that bring forth fruit in his season, his leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. And if you want to prosper, you have to be planted. And so we see the psalmist is saying to get rooted. And I wonder so often if we are so busy looking for a way out that we have ignored God trying to get in. We're so busy looking for a way out. How can, how can I figure this out? How can I leave my storm? How can I uh, uh, get away from this situation that we failed to invite God in? Maybe God wants to be invited into your struggle in your workplace. Maybe God wants to be invited into the struggle in your marriage. Maybe God wants to be invited into the complexity of your relationship. See, uh, we're so often trying to get out that we don't often let God in. So here's David, and he's saying, man, I wish I just had wings like a dove. I just want to get out of here. I just want to leave all of my problems and all of my struggles. The Bible tells us this in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. But they that wait, everybody say wait. wait. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. See, there is good things that come to those that are willing to wait on God's timing. And so we see David, first of all, he looked within at how he felt. But then he looked beyond for a way out. And I want you to see the third direction that we can look today. You can look around at what's not fair. You can look around at what's not fair. If you're still with me today, would you say amen? amen. Notice what our text says in verse number 12. David says this, For it was not 
an enemy that reproached me. Then I could have borne it. Neither was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me. Then I would have hid myself from him. See, David here is saying, man, it wasn't an enemy that caused so much pain in my life. See, we rarely give our enemies enough latitude to actually inflict, inflict real pain on us because they're our enemies. And so even though they can criticize us, they can, they can harm us or, or, or try to distract us, since they're our enemies, typically we have our guard up, right? And we're kind of ready for something to go wrong so we have our guard up. But the same is not true when it comes to our close friends and family. Because with our close friends and family, where normally the gates would be up and we would not let someone in, our close friends and family, they have access to where we are most vulnerable. And that is why it's often those that we love the most that have the most potential to hurt us. And those that we let in the closest can harm us and hurt us the most. And so David's saying, it wasn't an enemy. It wasn't an enemy that brought this reproach to me. It wasn't an enemy. I, I could have handled it if it was an enemy. And David was, was uh, describing the situation that was not fair. And I want you to see the context for what David is talking about here in Psalm 55 actually takes place in 2 Samuel chapter 12. And what we learn in that chapter is two things. We learn that, first of all, David was uh, despised by his own family. He was despised by his own family. Uh, the other day, my son Luke was drawing a picture, and uh, I was kind of curious what it was, and he was kind of busy drawing a picture. And, and I went over and kind of looked over, and he was drawing a picture of our, our family. And I was like, oh, that, that's cool. And he had, he had drawn, you know, Katie, and he had drawn uh, himself and Blakely and Liv and, and uh, our family. And I looked at me on the picture. He drew me, and he gave me the picture, and he was real proud of it. And as I looked at myself, uh, near my stomach, there was a circle. And I said, Luke, why is there a circle on my stomach? And he said, that's your big belly. <laughs> I was like... Thanks a lot, bro. Come on. I got, I got a big belly in the picture. Did you have to include uh, that little uh, detail? And uh, so I know all about what it's like to be despised by your own family. <laughs> and here, David is going to describe this situation. We're going to see that David was despised by his family. See, David had two sons. One's name was Amnon. One, one was named Absalom. And David's uh, struggle with his family was very complex. David went through a lot of different um, a lot of different really uh, treacherous and uh, tragic moments. And uh, David's son Amnon uh, was a very wicked and evil man. And David's son Amnon went and he actually uh, committed a great crime and he raped his own sister. And so this was, as you would imagine, a terrible scene for the family that Amnon just went and did this horrible, horrible thing. Well, Amnon's brother Absalom was so upset at his brother Amnon, Absalom was just like out of control rage that he just said, I'm taking matters into my own hands, and I'm going to go and take care of this myself. And he went and murdered his brother Amnon. And so imagine David's family now. You have a rapist, you have a murderer, you have all of these complex things, and, and Absalom kind of went away for a season. This was a grotesque family situation. But even through all of that, I want you to see how David, the father, responded to Absalom. Because it says this in 2 Samuel 14, verse number 21. And the king said unto Joab, Behold, now I have uh, done this thing. Go, therefore, bring the young man Absalom again. And so even though Absalom was a murderer, and even though Absalom had done these horrible things, David, as a loving father, said, Bring him back to me again. I, I want to show him kindness, and I want to show him love. So much so that it says this in verse number 33 of the same chapter, uh, 2 Samuel 14, verse 33. So Job came to the king and told him, and when he had called for Absalom, he came to the king and bowed himself on his face to the ground before the king, and the king kissed Absalom. 
And so we see David showing grace and he's showing forgiveness and he's trying to love his son Absalom, even though Absalom didn't even deserve it. Now, how did Absalom repay the favor? How did Absalom respond to this grace and this mercy that, that David had showed him? Absalom responded by re rebelling against his kingdom and trying to revolt and start a conspiracy against his own father. And he spread lies about him, and he spread uh, rumors about him, and he hurt his father, and eventually he took over his own father's kingdom and forced his father into hiding. That's how Absalom despised his own father. So much that the Bible says this in 2 Samuel 15, verse number 14. And David said unto all his servants that were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, for we shall not else escape from Absalom. Make speed to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly and bring evil upon us and smite the city with the edge of the sword. And so even though David had tried to show this forgiveness and tried to show grace, that's how Absalom responded. And maybe today you can relate to this situation because you've tried to show grace to your family. You've tried to show love to your family. You've tried to forgive and you've tried to let things go, but people have still hurt you. They've still betrayed you. They've still been dishonest with you and they have not returned the favor and you feel like your situation is just completely unfair. This is just not fair. And here's Dave and he's saying, man, it wasn't an enemy that reproached me. I was despised by my own family. This situation is not fair. But not only was he despised by his own family, he was deceived by his own friend. Notice what it says in verse number 13 of our text. If you're still with me, would you say amen? amen. So he was despised by his family. But I want you to see that he was deceived by his friend. Verse 13, but it was thou, a man mine equal my guide and mine acquaintance, we took sweet counsel together and walked unto the house of God in company. Well, who's David talking about in these verses? Who is this, this acquaintance that David took sweet counsel together with? He says, it was thou, a man mine equal, my guide and mine acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together. I believe that David is referring to his trusted number one counselor, a man, a man whose name was Ahithophel. And Ahithophel was David's trusted counselor. They, they, they shared memories together. They went to the house of God together. It says this in 2 Samuel 15, verse number 12. And Absalom sent for Ahithophel, uh, the Gilonite. So, so Absalom, David's son that rejected him, that revolted against his kingdom, he sent for Ahithophel, the Gilonite, David's counselor from his city, even in, uh, from Gilo, where, while he offered sacrifices. And the conspiracy was strong for the people, increased continually with Absalom. And so now, not only was David despised by his own family, now he's deceived by one of his closest friends, his counselor, Ahithophel. See, it's the best of friends that make the worst of enemies. Now, why was Ahithophel so mad at David that he would be willing to completely betray him and, and betray his loyalty and go and partner with, with Absalom? Why was Ahithophel so upset about this? And I believe when you study the history of Ahithophel, this man you learn some deep bitterness and complexities about his life because Ahithophel was actually the grandfather of a lady named Bathsheba. And Bathsheba was the lady that David committed adultery with. David committed adultery with Bathsheba, ended up murdering her husband Uriah. And so Ahithophel, even though he used to take sweet counsel with David, even though they were on the same page, and they went to the house of the Lord together, Ahithophel, he could never forgive David for what he did to his granddaughter. It was completely unfair. He could never forgive him. And so he spent the rest of his life trying to get even with David. He hated David. I can't believe what you did to my family. 
He, he couldn't stand David, and bitterness got a hold of Ahithophel's heart, and bitterness got a hold of him so much so that that was, that was the, the, the thrux of his life, and he came to the end of his life, and Ahithophel eventually hung himself, ended in tragedy, which is a, it's a constant reminder for us that bitterness is a one-way road to devastation and to destruction. And here's Ahithophel, he hates David. And so he, he joins up with Absalom. They revolt against him. And now uh, everyone sees the situation as unfair. Here's David. He's like, man, I've been despised by my own family. I've been deceived uh, by uh, my own friend. And what I want to tell you this morning is we see the same thing in the person of Jesus Christ. This points us ahead to Jesus. Because Jesus was deceived by his own. Jesus was betrayed by his own. He came into his own and his own received him not. Jesus had a close acquaintance. He had a close friend named Judas, and they spent time together. They did ministry together, but Judas ended up betraying Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, and so Jesus knows all about betrayal. He knows all about being deceived, and you might be sitting here today thinking, you know what, Matt, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know the season that I've gone through. You don't know the storm that I'm in or the struggle that I'm facing, and you may be right, but I want to tell you that Jesus does. Jesus has gone through betrayal. He has been wronged. Jesus has gone through great hurt. The Bible says that we have not in high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, all of our feelings of pain and all of our feelings of, uh, of, uh, of being alone and all these feelings of being hurt. Jesus has felt those same things. And what did Jesus do when he was despised? And what did Jesus do when, when Judas betrayed him? He showed love anyways. He showed forgiveness and he showed grace. The Bible tells us this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, and be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. And so when friends and family let us down, just know that Jesus has been there. And when people betray you and hurt you, and when you look around at your situation and you think this is not fair, just know Jesus knows exactly what you're going through and he knows exactly what you need. And here's David. He looked within at his feelings. He looked beyond for a way out. He was looking around. This, this whole circumstance was not fair. It wasn't fair. But this leads us to our last thought this morning. Number four, you can look up and trust who is in control. Good. If you have one more in you, would you say amen? amen? You can look up and trust who is in control. Notice verse number 16 of our text. David says, as for me, and I love that, that little phrase, as for me, because David was saying, you know what, I can't control what everybody else does. I can't control what they do to me, and I can't control the decisions that they make. But as for me, I will call upon God, and the Lord shall save me. And verse number 16 is the turning point in this psalm of lament. Up until now, it's been complaining, and it's been kind of a downer. It's been kind of, kind of negative. But now we see the grief starting to turn around, and we see God starting to work in this situation. And David says, as for me, I will call upon God, and the Lord shall save me. He was, he was fixing his eyes on the one who was above him. Hebrews chapter 12 says, says this, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so this morning, how can we look up? 
How can we fix our eyes on Jesus? We know that this is what we need to do. We know that this is what God would have us do in the middle of our storm, but how do we do it? I want to give us three ways as we close very quickly. Number one, run to God in prayer. Run to God in prayer. David says, as for me, I will call upon God and the Lord shall save me. Notice verse 17. Evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. See, at the beginning of the chapter, David said, God, are you there? I feel abandoned. But now David said, you know what? I'm going to run to God in prayer. I'm going to commit to praying evening and morning and at noon. I love how David was passionate in his prayer, and he had a pattern for his prayer, because if you want to be consistent in your prayer life, you have to have a pattern. And so David said, you know what? Evening and morning and at noon will I pray. I'm going to run to God in prayer. I'm not going to run to people that are going to give me false advice and unbiblical counsel. I'm going to go straight to the King of Kings and to the Lord of Lords and I'm going to boldly approach the throne of grace because I have that kind of access and I have that kind of privilege to the God of the universe and so evening, morning, and noon will I pray. I love what Ian Bounds said. He said, prayer honors God, it acknowledges his being, it exalts his power, it adores his providence, and it secures his aid. This morning, if you're going through a storm, first of all, run to God in prayer. Boldly approach the throne of grace. Run to him in prayer. But secondly, today, resist isolation. You have to resist isolation. Notice what the next verse says. Verse 18. He hath delivered my soul in peace, David says, from the battle that was against me. But watch this. For there were many with me. I love that because here at the beginning of the chapter, David, when he was operating by his feelings, he was like, man, nobody's with me. I feel as though God has abandoned me. But now at the end of the chapter, when he's not operating so much by his emotion and by his feelings, the facts start coming out. Oh, now we realize and now we understand there were many with me. See, see, David had some companions. He had some people that even through all of the struggle and all of, all of the revolt with Absalom and the divided kingdom, David still had some people that were loyal. He still had some people that cared about him. And what I want to tell you today, if you're going through a storm, resist isolation. Where there is isolation, there is always instability. And so here's David, and he's saying, man, many were with me. And that, you know, that's why we're so passionate here at Rock Hill about small groups. That's why every time we get up and there's a service host and Rakia was telling us today, hey, you can sign up for a small group today. You can get into community because one hour on a Sunday morning, hey, it's great. We should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but it's not enough. We've got to do life together. We've got to have some people on our right side and on our left side that say, hey, I'm in this with you. I'm in the trenches, trenches with you. I'm praying for you. I'm here to help you. How can I encourage you? How can I edify you? See, David was at the worst storm in his life, but he said many were with me. And you can be going through a terrible storm and a terrible season. But I want you to know that you can find real biblical community at Rock Hill Church. And we want to pray for each other and iron sharpen iron. And we want to uh, be there for each other. The Bible says in Proverbs that a brother is born for adversity. And so when we're going through adversity, when we're going through a storm, we've got to surround ourselves in community and resist isolation. But there's a third thought. Number three, if you're going through a storm, rest in his promises. We have to run to God in prayer. We have to resist isolation, but then rest in his promises. Notice verse number 22. I love this verse. Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. Everybody say sustain. sustain. He will sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Hey, you can cast your burden on the Lord, and God will provide that stability that you so desperately need. 
He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. See, sometimes God takes us out of the storm, but sometimes God stabilizes us in the midst of the storm. I love what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 11. It's kind of a, a very familiar passage where Jesus is talking about rest, and it's, it's often quoted, and, and I've read this verse dozens and dozens of times over the last several weeks when there's been so much tragedy going on in our world and our community and, and death and suicide and these terrible things that are taking place. And Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 11. He said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And we love that verse, and we should. But a lot of times we focus on the rest, and we totally skip over the responsibility. Because notice how many times in these verses there's a command given. Come unto me. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. Find rest. Sometimes we skip to the rest right over the responsibility, but responsibility is a prerequisite for rest. We will never experience the rest that God wants to, to experience if we're not seeking after him, if we're not learning of him, if we're not going to him, if we're not running to him in prayer. See, God will give us rest, but we have to have this responsibility of going to God and approaching him. His, his burden is light. His yoke is easy. Jesus says, I can, that burden that you're carrying that's so heavy, that's unbearable, I can handle that. I can carry that. It's easy. My burden is light. We have to rest in his promises. The last verse I want to read this morning is verse number 23. But thou, O God, shall bring them down into the pit of destruction. David was saying, you know what? I'm just going to trust that God's in control of mine enemies. Bloody and deceitful men shall not live out half their days. But I will trust in thee. And that's what it all boils down to today. Do you trust him? I will trust in thee. Who are you trusting in? Who or what have you placed your faith? David said, I'm going to trust God. The Bible says in Isaiah 26, verse number three, that will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Do you trust him? Elizabeth Elliot, she was, she recently just passed away a few years ago in 2015. She was the wife of um, famous missionary Jim Elliot who was murdered by the Aka Indians. Her first husband was murdered on the mission field by the Aka Indians. Her second husband was, uh, lost his life to battling cancer. She battled dementia in the later years of her life, and so she was a woman that knew all about storms, all about tragedies, all about extreme difficulty in life. And this is what she said. Whatever is in the cup that God is offering to me, whether it be pain and sorrow and suffering and grief along with many more joys, I'm willing to take it because I trust him. Because I know that what God wants for me is the very best. Today, do you trust him? Do you trust him for your salvation? Many people today are trusting in all sorts of things for salvation. When it comes to heaven and when it comes to hell, man, we want to get to heaven and we hope that we can get to heaven. And we think that getting to heaven somehow is based upon our merit. I was having coffee yesterday with someone that was saying, man, uh, I want to go to heaven and I want to be saved, but I have to make sure that I'm baptized and I have to make sure I do this. And I said, no, no, no. Salvation is not found in any of those things. Salvation is found in one name, in one person, Jesus Christ. Who are you trusting in today? 
The Bible says in Titus 3, 5, that it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done. It's according to his mercy that he saves us. Today, you can have a home in heaven. You can have a relationship with Jesus. You can have forgiveness of all of your sins, past, present, future, in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Today, do you trust him? I have one more verse. I guess I lied a second ago. I have one more verse. Thank you for forgiving me. You're so forgiving today. Matthew chapter 14, verse number 28. In fact, as I read this last verse, would you mind standing with me today? Please listen to this, this last verse today before we move on. Matthew 14, verse number 28. The disciples find themselves in the middle of a storm. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me to come unto thee on the water. In the middle of the storm, this is this passage where, where Peter is walking on the water, experiences this great miracle. And he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and he began to sink. And he cried saying, Lord, save me. He was walking on water. Things were going great until the direction he was looking started to shift. And still, until he started to look in the wrong direction, he saw the wind boisterous and then he started to get afraid. See this morning, are you looking at the storm or are you looking at your savior? What direction are you looking? Today, I want to encourage you, don't look within at your feelings. Your feelings can't be trusted. Don't, don't look around at what's unfair and don't look, uh, don't look beyond for a way out. But this morning, I want to encourage you, look up, fix your eyes on Jesus and Jesus alone. He is the anchor for your soul. He will give you the stability that you need today. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. What is the direction that we're looking Thanks again for listening today. If this message was an encouragement to you, let us know. You can email us at hello at rockhill.church and keep up with all the latest news at rockhill.church or on Instagram at rockhillchurch.